premise of the study is simple. There is a battle being waged for our minds, and uh, our enemy, the devil, who, who scriptured, who Jesus calls the father of lies, is raising up arguments against the knowledge of God. That's what he's doing. He's raising, raising up arguments against the knowledge of God. And so, so there's a battle for our minds with the truth of God's word, with Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he says all of God's word, John 17, 17, is the truth. And so there's a battle between the truth and, and Satan, the father of lies, who's raising up these arguments against the truth of God's word. And, and when we listen to these arguments, when we entertain these wrong thoughts, they have a huge impact on our life. And so I want you to see, take a look at what scientists say happens. We've kind of used this diagram throughout. So scientists now that study the brain say this is, this is how things work. Uh, what we think about affects how we feel, and it affects what we do. Okay, so it, so it affects, uh, we, we say it affects our heart, and it affects our hands, and it affects how we feel about ourselves and our actions. And then, and then they, they also discovered that what we do and, uh, and how we feel then also reinforces what we think. And so if we have believed a wrong thought, if we've believed a lie from the father of lies, then not only does that change how we feel about us, how we feel about God, it changes our actions. And then those wrong feelings and wrong actions reinforce that wrong thought. It becomes a, uh, a cycle that we call a stronghold biblically. But we have good news, right? There is one who can break us out of that cycle. There is one who can break that stronghold. His name is Jesus. And we know that his word is true. And the Bible says that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Father, um, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to come and to do uh, what we couldn't. Come and to live the perfect life that we could not. To die in our place, to pay the payment for our sin. King Jesus, you are worthy of all worship and praise. Holy Spirit, we want to pause in the midst of our mourning. We're still worshiping. We're changing the way we worship. We've been singing, now we're going to be studying. But Holy Spirit, we just recognize your role in all of it. And we ask you to come now and be our teacher and our guide that you would lift up and exalt Jesus Christ, that we would see him clearly, that we would hear him clearly, that our hearts and our minds would be transformed, that we would be made into his image, and we would leave different than when we came in. We pray for freedom that only Christ can bring. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So this morning I want you to do something with me. I want you to take a moment, don't fall asleep on me, but take a moment, I want you to think about the last time that you were really suffering. I want you to think about the last time that you suffered hurt or, or loss. Just close your eyes for a second, think about what that, that instance was, alright? Again, don't fade off on me. But in your mind, I want you to think about that last time that you suffered hurt or you suffered loss. And in your mind, I want you to think about how that suffering made you feel. How did you feel in the midst of that time, in the midst of that trial? Think of one or two words to describe how you feel the last time you suffered hurt or loss. And the moment that you get that one or two words, look up here. Okay. All right, I'm going to put a word on the screen. Here it is. Is that anybody's word? Raise your hand if that was your word. Yeah, that's a lot of you. That's a lot of you, right? You see, often 
when we find ourselves in times of trials or seasons of suffering, we are incredibly lonely. And this morning, I want to tell you why that is, and I want to tell you how to battle that, okay? And so here is the lie that we are going to address this morning. Ready? No one understands what I'm going through. Right? That's the lie. It's one of the great lies of the enemy. No one can understand what you're going through. You're all alone. And, and, and the lie kind of, kind of formats itself. Um, it, it, it presents itself as this. Not only does no one understand, but no one, no one knows you. No one sees you. There's no one you can talk to. Right? And because think of this. The enemy loves to pull us away into isolation because then it's, it's easier to attack us. If you think about a lion that is hunting for prey, what do they do? They seek. To get someone off from the pack, right? All alone by themselves. And that's why this this lie is so powerful. No one understands what I'm going through. And so this morning I want to start by sharing a story of someone who I believe very much felt this way. And so if you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Now you may remember from our time in the story that after uh, the fall of man, after the flood, that God said, I'm going to build a nation for myself. And, and the promised one that he promised back in Genesis 3 uh, at the fall, he said, he said one is going to come that's going to crush the head of the serpent. That promised one is going to come from the nation that God builds. And that nation that God builds, that nation called Israel, begins with one man named Abram. Named Abram. Okay, God is going to rename him Abraham. So you're going to hear me say Abraham and Sarah, even though the text says Abram and Sarai, because I like Abraham and Sarah better. Okay, so, so God begins with this one man named Abram. He says, hey, Abram, I want you to get up. I want you to take everything that you have, and you are going to leave to a place that I will eventually show you. I'm not going to tell you where you're going, but there's great promise for you. It's a beautiful place, and you are going to be the father of many nations. And the Bible says that when, when, when Abraham answered, when he answered, that call, he got up, he packed everything he had, he and his wife Sarah were, uh, he was 75 years old so he was 75 years old when that happened, now in Genesis chapter 16, I want you to see, we're just setting this up, it's been about 10 years, and they're still without that promised child, okay 10 years still without that promised child this is what the word of God says, it says Abram uh, Abram's wife Sarai had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave Named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave, and, and perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, or Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, Hear Your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. I just want to put that in context for a second. This young lady named Hagar, it says, is a slave. 
I want you to think contextually about what that probably means. That probably means that she was uh, either ripped from a home that she was taken or that she was, she was uh, sold because her parents had debt that they could not afford. And she, she's taken as, as a slave. Now, the text would seem to indicate that, that Hagar is quite a bit younger than Sarai, right? That's, that's part of why this solution in, in Sarah's mind works so well. This is a young woman. And so this young woman is a forced slave. She, she has no say in this matter. She doesn't volunteer for what happens. When, when Sarah decides, hey, listen, I've got a plan. We've been waiting 10 years. God hasn't delivered on his promise. We're going to take things in our own hands. And she says, here, Abraham, I want you to sleep with my young slave girl, and maybe then we can have a family. That's kind of how things go down. Now, so, so Abram, you know, 85-year-old guy says, oh, okay, I guess if you, if you twist my arm, he sleeps with her. And she becomes pregnant. And at that moment, it says, uh, once she becomes pregnant, she begins to have contempt for Sarah. Okay? She begins to have contempt for Sarah. Now, I want, I, want to, I want to say this again. Hagar has no say in this. She is now forced to sleep with an 85-year-old dude. All right? Those of you that have kids, I just want you to try to fathom that. What it would be like for your teenage daughter, for your young 20-something daughter to be forced to, to lay with an 85-year-old man. And to have no choice. Okay, that's, that's who, who Hagar is. And so that happens. And, 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 and when that happens, she becomes pregnant. Uh, that, that's what Sarah wanted, by the way. And then look at what happens in verse 4. So she gets pregnant, and then this is what happens. So he sleeps with Hagar. She becomes pregnant. When she uh, sees that she's pregnant, her mistress becomes contemptible to her. Now, now most people would try to tell you that, that what happens here is that Hagar begins to look down on Sarah. I'm going to tell you, I don't think that's the case. I don't think she's looking down on Sarah. I think she's angry. She's, she's a young woman that was just forced to sleep with an old guy, and now she's pregnant and has to carry his baby. I think she's upset, rightfully so. She's angry. And so, Why would you do this to me? Why would you force me into this place? And, and so, so, but Sarah is projecting, right? Here, Sarah is now projecting on, onto Hagar these feelings because Sarah herself feels like she doesn't add up. Ever been there? Sarah herself doesn't feel like she's good enough. She already has these major self-image problems because she can't have a child. So she projects this stuff on to Hagar. Now, Abraham says, hey, man, I'm retired. I'm out. I, I, did, I, I did what you told me to do. My hands are, this is, this is it. I'm fine. She's yours. And so Sarah takes ownership again of Hagar, who's now pregnant, and begins to mistreat her. How bad does she mistreat her? Evidently so bad that it's better to be lost in the middle of the desert. It's, it's run away in the middle of the desert kind of bad. And that is where the angel of the Lord finds her. Physically, she's now in a place that represents how she feels on the inside all alone. She's suffering. She's a slave. She's forced to have sex with an old man. She's impregnated. She's alone. No one cares. No one knows. No one sees her suffering or so. That is what she thinks. Now let's finish the story in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? 
She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. She named God. She gave God a name here. You are El Roi. El Roi. For she said, in this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. That's what El Roi means, the God who sees me. In this place, have I actually seen the God who sees me? Three things I want to share with you this morning as we talk about uh, suffering, okay? Here's the first thing you need to know. It's really, really important. God sees your suffering, right? El Roi The God who sees, God sees your suffering. When we are suffering, we are tempted to believe the lie that we are all alone, that no one understands, right? That that, that what we're going through, that no one even sees it, but that is simply not the truth. So I want you to listen to me this morning, hopefully carefully uh, today, no matter what you're going through, whether it's hurt or loss or depression Insecurity, anxiety, uncertainty, a loveless marriage, a thankless job, a rebellious teen. Doesn't matter. God sees you. No matter what you are going through, God sees your suffering. He knows that you're suffering. In fact, I want you to listen to the heart of David. I'm going to be in Psalm 139 now. And... uh, Psalm 139, David, he experiences stuff firsthand, guys. If you want to talk about somebody who's, whose life uh, didn't go exactly the way he had planned, you talk about somebody who had a dream placed before him and, and had to wait and wait and wait. Are you there? Are you in a season of waiting right now? Just been waiting. I'm just waiting upon the Lord. And it just seems like the Lord is taking so long to answer. And I, I just, I, David knows firsthand. I want you to hear uh, what David pens about the Lord and, and his personal experience. Psalm 139 verse 1 says, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I, if I live at the eastern horizon or settle with the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. 
The night shines like the day. The darkness and the light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's room. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. The very first truth we need to know when we are struggling, when we're in a season of suffering, when we're going through a time of trial, is this. God sees you. Our God is the God who sees. God sees you. When you're feeling all alone, like Hagar, you need to have an encounter with the God who sees you need to just hear his voice. Hey, I, I, I see you. I see your struggle. I, I, I know you're battling an illness. I, I know you're battling with depression. I, I know that your job isn't everything it's, it's cracked up to be. I know that your kids are rebelling. I see you. I just want you to know I see you. It, it, it changes the game. It really does. It's a game changer. So that's the first thing we need. God sees our suffering. The second thing we need to know is this. Not only does God see it, but God understands it. God understands our pain, right? God understands our pain. This God that we are talking about, this God uh, who, who sees our suffering, he doesn't just do so from some elevated, ethereal, uh, celestial kind of vantage point, right? God doesn't just see us from afar. That's, that's not the story. The story isn't about a God who chooses to remove himself, who chooses to remain apart from all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the suffering. No, the story instead is about a God who loves us so much that he does the unthinkable, right? He, he comes down to tabernacle with us. He comes down to, to dwell with us. He, he, and he doesn't come down to dwell with us. He doesn't do so by staying at the Ritz-Carlton, right? No, no, the Bible declares that this God chooses to, to become nothing, to take on the role of, of a suffering servant. That, that means that God chooses to suffer for our sake. We talk often about the fact that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, that he lived the perfect life that we couldn't, he died the death that we deserve. All that is true, but that life that, that he lived was a life of suffering. So Christian who lives in America, I want to challenge you a little bit in your theology when you think that you're never supposed to have hardship. Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't, and what was his life a life of? Hardship. It was a life of hardship. Where, where do we get our mindset that this, isn't, this thing isn't supposed to be hard? The perfect life was a life of hardship. It was a life of, of suffering. It means that God chose to suffer for our sake because he loves us. He, the only way to set us free from sin was to come and to suffer. He comes and he lives the life that we can. He dies the death that we deserve. We say that a lot. Jesus lived the life that we can't. He did it perfectly. But I don't want you to overlook that, that, that little part of that Jesus lived. Just, just that. Just Jesus lived. Right? He lived here on earth. He still lives. He's living. Right? But Jesus lived here on earth. Jesus lived here on this planet. Jesus lived here in this fallen world that is full of anger and, and hate and, and disbelief. Jesus, Jesus walked through this, right? 
Jesus walks through the curse and he endured it for our sake. Listen to what the author of Hebrews declares, uh, Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet is without sin. Do you know what that verse means? That verse means that God understands your pain. It means that God understands your struggle. God understands the trial that you are facing right now. We do not merely have a God that reigns above suffering, though he certainly does. But we also have a God that has walked through suffering. Which means that we always have a place to turn. Because that's huge. That's huge. Can, can you imagine praying to a God that had no idea of what it was like? I wonder, would you talk to him about your hurt? Could you? Could you talk to him about your struggle and the way that you feel? Could you really talk to a God that couldn't understand? I don't know about you. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could. I believe God knew that. And so God didn't just sit there in heaven and reign above our suffering. He chose to step down into our suffering, to walk through it and to show us the way to endure it faithfully. And he did so for our sake. Which brings me to our last point, okay? Last point. We have a God, right, that has faced hurt, loss, rejection. He did all this to save humanity. It's our last point. Trials and suffering are a common part of the human life. God knows what it's like to be human. It's kind of our second point. The third point is, so does everybody else. (laughs) Okay? Trials and suffering are a common part of American, uh, or of human life. American Christianity has adopted a dangerous theology that is birthed out of a false gospel. I'm going to call it, it, that is a false gospel. Uh, Theologians call it the prosperity gospel. It is not the gospel. It is a false gospel. It's a damnation of the gospel, if I'm being honest. And, and it goes something like this. If you do the right things, if, if you have enough faith, if you give enough money, then God will bless you. That's the formula. Okay, I'm going to say it again because maybe you've bought into it, right? If, if you do all the right things, if you have enough faith, if you give enough money, then God will bless you. In fact, they believe then God will have to bless you. If you do those things, you get to force the hand of God's blessing, okay? That, that, that's the belief. Now listen, and, and if you're experiencing, if you're not experiencing that blessing, if life ain't all it's cracked up to be, According to the prosperity gospel, get this, that is a you problem. It's a you problem. This is, this is how it's preached, right? So if, if life ain't, it's, ain't all it's cracked up to be, if you're not experiencing that, that great blessing of God, then it is a you problem, okay? And, and, and that means that you're not doing enough of the right things. It means that you don't have enough faith. It means you're not giving enough money. It's a you problem. But guys, that is not biblical. I want you to look at this, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13. It says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. 
But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. By the way, that's the verse that everybody butchers. Uh, takes completely out of God will never give me anything more than I can handle. That's not what that verse says. There's no temptation that's come upon you that's not common to everyone. Do you know what that means? That, that thing that you are, are, are struggling with, that feeling that you have, that private suffering, that you feel like nobody can understand what I'm going through, is a lie because everyone understands what you're going through. Because it's part of humanity. It is part of the fallen world that we will suffer and that we will struggle. Not, not that if we do this, this, and this, we'll be blessed. That's not the promise of Scripture. The promise of Scripture is that we live in a fallen world that God is, is working at redeeming. And that one day, all things will be set right. But meanwhile, it's going to stink. That's the story of the Bible. And you'll find joys in the midst of the suffering. You'll you'll find love in the midst of suffering because you get glimpses of heaven that is on its way here. We get glimpses of the kingdom right now because the kingdom is already here, but it's not yet here. You know what I'm saying? It's the already not yet king. And in this already part of the kingdom of God, we do see goodness and we do see love and, and we have see but we also see a wreck. We see that the world is ravished by hatred. Just Get on any internet site and read through the comments right now. That's not the world. They they would say, oh yeah, I want to live. Like if if we saw the people behind us, some of those people making those comments could could be people that we work with. Could be people that we sit with in church. I want to say, what's wrong with you? Well, humanity is what's wrong with you. The world is broken and in desperate need of its final repair. Meanwhile, it's going to be tough down here. Okay? It's going to be tough down here. The Bible says that we are all going to struggle, that we will all suffer from time to time. In fact, I'm I'm going to go a step further. I believe the Bible declares that God often intends suffering for our good. God intends suffering for our good. So I want to show that to you um, by taking you to uh, many people's favorite verses. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We love this verse. We love this verse in Christianity. Um, so I, I want to I actually read it to you in context, maybe for the first time in your life. It's Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, the Word of God says this. It says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. That's a happy verse. And we'll say that again. It says, we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God who are called according to his purpose. Now, how do we figure out the context of a verse? Interactively. Read before and after. So let's go to the paragraph before. Just jump up to verse 26. Read that out loud. What What does that first line say? In the same way. What does that mean? That's a connecting thought, isn't it? So therefore, if I'm reading the context of 28, and I jump up to 26, I'm going to read the paragraph before. The paragraph before says in the same way, meaning it's referring to the paragraph before that, to the thought before that. So so now now jump back up. Now go to verse 18. That's the next paragraph, right, in your Bible. Now now read this. 
What does this say? It says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That is your context for Romans 8.28. Okay? That's your context. So, so listen, Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God who are called according to his purpose. What is the context of that? Ready? The context of that is the present sufferings we face. And God is saying, listen, even the present sufferings you face, I'm going to work for your good. God says, I send suffering to you as a mechanism for your good. Wow. Does that, does it, for anybody else? Whoa, 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 God, it's good for me to suffer? It's, it's good for me to, to hang on, that, that strengthens my faith, that, that changes me, that, that, that makes me more faithful, that, that gives me the ability to, to endure, that gives me this godly patience and forbearance that you speak of. I mean, my suffering is for my gain? Whoa, that's a different gospel. No, 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 that is the gospel. That is the gospel. God uses suffering for our good. You guys remember uh, last week, I, uh, how many were here last week? Last week, okay. Do you remember the lie last week? I'm not good enough for God. I, I said, okay, I'm gonna, I want to see how many of you have ever believed that and ask you to raise hands. You guys remember that? And then I made you keep your hands up. And then what did I do? I asked you after you kept your hands up to look around, right? And I said, hey, that's going to come back next week. I, I will tell you how it comes. And, and the reason I did that is because I wanted you to see we were all in the same boat. Right? We are all in the same boat. What I want to tell you this morning is you are not alone when you feel this way. We all feel this way from time to time. The truth is that sufferings are a common part of human life. So here's our lie one more time. Uh, no one understands what we're going through. And nobody understands what I'm going through. That is the lie that we um, often buy into because when we're suffering, we, we feel alone. That's a lie. So remember, we have a wrong thought. That wrong thought affects how we feel. So we begin to feel like we're alone. It changes how we act. So because we feel like we're alone, we actually withdraw and become alone. Okay? We get isolated and then we get whooped. (laughs) We get isolated and then we get whooped. So here's the truth. Here's the truth that we've just studied. Ready? God sees and understands us. Okay? God sees and understands us. Ready? And get this. Many others can identify with the general trials and feelings we face. Many others can identify. Listen, I promise you, and, and, and here, here's, I want to just, I want to flip the switch in your brain. Uh, when you suffer, you think, man, there's no one else knows what I'm going through. And you know why? Because their grandmother doesn't have the same name, Right? I mean, right? I mean, I mean, their grandmother died too, and she was very much a mother figure to them too, but her name wasn't Lois, and, and she didn't live on Maple Street, right? She lived on, on, on Rolling Oaks. That's the difference. But nobody understands. Nobody understands. She, she put me on, on the green tractor, and then she taught me how to make apple pie. Well, my grandmother taught me how to make pecan pie. I'm sorry, but, but I had a grandmother that loved me very much the same way that your grandmother loved you. And, and her name wasn't Maple. It was Lois. But it's okay. Like, I know what it is to lose that figure in my life. So, so stop acting like you are the only one. I, can I tell you how prideful it is to believe that you are the only one that feels this way? It is, it is the very sin of pride 
That, 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 that you feed your own isolation. You say, there's nobody else that can understand. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody's ever been betrayed. Nobody's ever been hurt. Nobody's ever struggled and not been healed. Nobody's ever been through this thing that I'm feeling right now. I'm going to isolate myself because there is no one else on the face of the planet who knows who I am, who knows what I'm going through. That's one of the most prideful statements you can make. The truth is, listen, there may not be anybody where every single detail is exactly the same. But I, I guarantee you that your life, not, not just the world, your life is full of people that can identify with the general trial you're going through. I promise. I promise. That is the truth. That truth has to break through. Okay? So, how, how we break these strongholds, right? We take the truth of God's word. We begin to think on the truth of God's word. We begin to do the right things. Eventually, we'll feel the right things, and we believe that stronghold will be broken. So uh, here's how we're going to attack it this week. I want to give you some application. Um, number one is the tool of meditation that we learned this summer, right? We talked about meditation this summer, and that, that is, that is uh, not where we have to crisscross our legs and do the thing with the, 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 the middle finger and the thumb, and it, you don't have to say, ooh-ah, or moo-mah, or whatever. Uh, it's none of that. Meditation is thinking about the Lord. It's thinking about the Lord. And, and so, specifically, I want you to meditate and think about the life of Jesus. I want you to think about the life of Jesus. Remember, listen, not only does God see you, but God understands what you're going through. So, so you go, man, life is so hard right now. Oh my gosh, I have the worst job ever. Hello. I'm pretty sure your job doesn't end with you having to pick up a cross and be crucified on it. Right? I'm just being honest. Right? I mean, you think, man, I have the worst co-workers ever. Can you imagine Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? What does it take for you guys just to stay awake for crying out loud? Right? They're, they're about to come for me, and my co-workers, my co-laborers can't even stay awake? Are you kidding me? You think your work environment is tough, right? You say, man, I, I, I'm physically in pain. I, 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 just, I, I have this joint stuff. It just doesn't go away. Talk about pain. Look to the cross. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, like, we have to understand that Jesus came and did this suffering thing, and he did it without sin. He did it without selfishness. Do, do you understand that? That's huge. That is huge. Okay? We, when we suffer, oh, poor me, pity, like nobody understands. It's all self. So, so instead of thinking about you, think about him. That's what we're going to change. That's the first thing. So, by the way, these first two are daily. So every day this week, you need to spend somewhere between five and ten minutes, just trying to think about all that the Lord endured. If you need help, uh, you can read uh, through the gospel some. You can read, I, I would focus on, uh, you know, you, you can focus on that, the, the Passion Week. You can focus on the Isaiah suffering servant passage. Just think about all that Christ endured uh, in, in the flesh for your sake, okay? So meditate. That, that, that's, that's, that's step one. Now here's step two. Again, this one is daily also. Daily, I want you to read Psalm 139, 1 through 16. Okay? David came to a place in life that the realization that God saw him overcame his feeling of being alone. Okay? Hey, I mean, he would write from that, man, I feel like I'm all alone. Here David's life, by the way, uh, much of it, while he's in hiding, uh, was a life of, of he, had, he had done many of the right things. And they had turned out the wrong way. Ever been there? Lord, I did the right thing. And yet, yet people surround me. That's David. He said, I, I get it. Get it? But, but, but read Psalm 139. Lord, where can I go to escape you? 
No matter where I am, you see me. And so it's just, I'm replacing this thought that I, no one understands with this truth. Wait a second, God does understand and God sees me, okay? And so I've got to replace those thoughts, that, 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 that's part. Now then there's an action I need to do too, right? Because as I, as I replace the thoughts and I begin to, to do the right thing, it's going to eventually change my heart. So here's, here's the action you need to do this week and it's going to be difficult for some of you. You need to press into community. You need to share your heart with someone this week. What are you struggling with? You need to share that with somebody this week. And and, and the the real, uh, like, honest version of it. Um, So I I tell you guys, I try to practice what I preach. And so uh, this week I knew this message was coming. And so I sent an email to a couple guys uh, that I think caught them off guard. And I was just like, here's how I feel. Like, this is, this is what's going on on the inside of me. And I'm thinking these things. And people say this, and I interpret it this way. And, and I don't like it, and it's ugly. And I just want you to pray for me. I love you. And, and, and one guy sent me an email back, and another one called me. He was like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm really good. I'm, just, I'm like, I want to I practice when I preach. Listen, I have to press into community. I, I don't want to be isolated anymore. I, I, I don't want to sit back and try to make things about me. I don't want to sit back here and go, oh, I'm the only one in the world that feels this way. Boo-hoo, poor me. I want to press into Jesus. And Jesus is like, man, we all suffer, right? And that's the call, is to take up your cross what daily and follow me. Like, it's actually a call to suffering. And so I need to step into it. I've got to man up. And, and, and same with you. Stop making it about you. Get in there. Get, get involved with somebody. Invite somebody into that space and say, here is what I am suffering in. Here is what I am struggling with. And I'm, I'm just inviting you to the party. And I hope it doesn't freak you out that I'm being this open and this honest. But, but here's what's going on. Can you pray for me? Now listen, that's going to be a short guest list. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this isn't a Facebook invitation. It's not, I mean it. It's, it's not an Evite, right? It just, it's not, that's not what this is. There's probably going to only be one, two, three people that you can kind of really step in, lean into, and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. Can you pray for me, okay? Listen, if we do these things, I I believe, I believe, I just believe what we've been talking about. Jesus has the power to break every tie that binds. He has the power to break this stronghold of sin in your life and wrong belief, right? And so some of you this morning, I, I, I love you, but I know that's where you are. You came in this morning and, and you have felt isolated for so long. You felt like nobody understands, nobody gets it, nobody knows. Well, I, I miss this person this way and they were this to me. Nobody knows. Man, life is really hard or work is like this or raising teenagers are like this. Listen, I, I love you, but God sees you. He understands your pain. And you know what? He has put a ton of people in your life that have experienced very similar circumstances. Let them minister to you. Okay, let them minister to you. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much this morning for being with us, uh, for meeting with us during this time. Uh, as we just have a, a little moment of, uh, of invitation and prayer, I just pray that you would be active in our midst. I know we've got some hurts here in this building and we don't want to act like we're without hurt. We don't want to act like we're without pain Said we want to share that with somebody. Hey, pray for my marriage. It's struggling. Pray for my healing. I don't know if it's going to come. Right? Pray for my loss. I don't think I'll ever get over it. Just pray for me. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space. Praying that you would allow us to be ministers 
of the gospel, and that we would minister to one another well. We ask that in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Um,